Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. Madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun on three occasions. I don't well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? They don't need us to kick them around the place. You could say it so much. The police get riot here with Trump. I am ashamed to call myself a European. The recognition of Guaido, elected gobshite, is an absolute embarrassment. Now, you did use the word gobshite, and, so uh, I would re- reprimand you over that. Hello and welcome back to another episode of I4C Trouble. This week we're doing a special episode on Israel and Palestine. Um... It's what's kind of spurred this has been the massive increase in, in attacks in the in the last number of months. Mick, do you want to give us a little introduction to what's yeah, going on? Uh, well, look, I mean, I think most of the public, uh, probably in Ireland in particular, uh, are kind of pretty familiar with um, the, the Palestinian cause. There's actually more support for it in Ireland uh, than in most countries. Uh, the Irish have been very sympathetic the Palestinian cause for years to have and it's kind of we could, we could just talk about why that is the case right but um, it's probably not unlinked to the fact of the troubles in the north and uh, uh, the fact that we were colonised for so long ourselves and I, th- I, I, but I always think as well that the Irish people have a genuine uh, interest and concern for the underdog right and the Palestinians are certainly an underdog, right? And now the reason, we're, I suppose, we're talking about it now is uh, last year, for example, th- there was 155 Palestinians killed by Israeli defence forces or settlers, um, and that was a record since 2005. Outside of uh, a, a, a sort of a wartime, because there's been a, a few different uh, sessions of what could be described as a war. Uh, in that period, but so last year was a record with 155 killed uh, by Israeli uh, forces. Uh, since that was a record since 2005. This year alone, right, a total of 35 Palestinians were killed by Israelis in January, making it the deadliest month for Palestinians in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem since 2015. That was just one month. Six of the fatalities were under the age of 18 with the youngest being a 14-year-old. The victims also included a 60-year-old man who was reportedly shot dead while reading the Koran inside her home. The vast majority were shot dead by Israeli troops, while three were killed by settlers. More than half of those killed were in the northern West Bank city of Jenin, which, along with Nablus, has been the focus of near-nightly search and arrest operations by Israeli forces since last year. Now, on February 6th, there were five killed in Aquabet, Jabra refugee camp. In February 22nd, 11 killed, including elderly man and a minor, and 100 wounded in Abelis in occupied West Bank. On March 7th, six killed in Jenin raid again. March 9th, three more Palestinians killed in a raid in Jenin, and a 14-year-old boy died from the attack on Tuesday. Israeli forces and settlers have killed 78 Palestinians, since the start of this year, including 14 children and a woman. Now, those figures speak for themselves. 
I think the silence from the international community is pretty deafening uh, on this. We also took, and one of the reasons why we're doing the show on it now, is we also took the initiative to send uh, an investigator ourselves to Palestine in the recent period, and they were part of a delegation of Irish people who've just returned from a visit to the West Bank, and they have been deeply shocked at what they have seen. We know now that a lot of, obviously, international organisations have called the Israeli um, state an apartheid state for their treatment of Palestinians. Uh, that is a legal definition. They figure that it reaches that criteria. But what the Irish people who, who went to the West Bank last week told us would very much reach that. And they were there when some of the attacks happened. Um, there was a particularly vicious attack on the village of Huwara, where five settlers attacked this village in return or revenge for the fact that uh, two Israelis had been shot by um, somebody from that village. But they literally tried to group punishment, collective punishment of the entire village, killing an older man and a toddler. Uh, and singing and dancing. And the settlers did this with the Israeli military beside them. And settler activity is basically, the state of it has this clause whereby if you are a Jew anywhere, you can come and settle in Israel and the government will give you money to do that. So you literally have people arriving from America plonking a caravan somewhere and saying, right, this is going to be my outpost. And then suddenly, after a period of time, it becomes a settlement. It's totally and utterly 100% illegal under international law. And the Irish who were out there sent us back their photographs of these big settlements, big giant blocks of apartments um, in these uh, areas where Arabs and, and Palestinians can't go. Yeah, and... I know I've seen some of the pictures, right? And there was there was one picture of two new settlers with their kid who had come. At, uh, they got the impression that they had come from America. But anyway, there were obviously Jews that were coming to settle. They had security provided by the Israeli state. There was a man walking in front of them and a man walking behind them, and they were both carrying rifles. Now, I mean... The Israeli state pays for private security for settlers when they go out walking and do it. They're also providing private security for Israeli Defence Forces personnel. So everywhere they go, armed settlers, the amount of pictures, which is people going around with arms, is just absolutely quite shocking uh, in terms of what we saw. And then you had the whole um, walls and the barricades and the Palestinians having to get up in the middle of the night, maybe three o'clock in the morning to go to queue, to get into the areas, to go to work, to go to school. Old ladies on public buses being told to get off, being show their passport by maybe some young Israeli Defence Forces personnel um, with another armed uh, private security beside them. Just it is total and utter occupation and the European Union has special favoured relations with Israel and really turns a blind eye to an enormous amount of this going on. We're, we're watching night after night where Israeli forces or settlers are going into villages, pulling people out of their homes, sometimes burning them, burning the homes, right, and then rebuilding them for themselves or whatever. And this is happening on a daily basis and the EU says nothing. Now, what 
in God's and members name, of parliament in Israel are getting up and complimenting the settler behaviour. In fact, saying it didn't go far enough and that actually, like, for example, the village of Hawara should be wiped out. That in the chamber of the Dal equivalent of Israel, there are people getting up and saying that. Uh, and yet they are our favourite friend and great secure partners in the region. Yeah, the village you referred to, Hawara, Claire, right? That was on February the 26th. A mob of hundreds of Israeli settlers, they rampaged through the West Bank village of Hawara. And it was, it's home to about 7,000 Palestinians. And they just saw terror, terror and wrecked havoc, right? They chased residents with submachine guns and stabbed and assaulted others with metal rods and rocks. They set houses ablaze, broke doors and smashed windows. They torched cars, burned stores, set fire to crops and trees and killed sheep. Israeli soldiers stood by and watched. Eyewitnesses related that the army was there to protect and support the settlers. Relatives of a Palestinian man killed during the rampage said that he was shot by Israeli soldiers as the, fa the family struggled to defend themselves from the rioters. After 17 hours of relentless violence, the village resembled an abandoned battlefield. Hundreds of Palestinians lay injured. Mm. Oh my God. Wow. There's very few places, I suppose, where that type of activity would go on. And that's the reason why Israel has been classified as an apartheid state. Um, there is now increasing consensus that that is an appropriate definition. It's grown in international bodies in terms of such as the UN Human Rights Council, the UN Rapporteurs for the Occupied Territories. And then two years ago, major NGOs such as Amnesty and Human Rights Watch who are, and Israeli and Palestinian NGOs also published reports which said that the treatment of Palestinians, and given what Mick has read out, it's not surprising, has reached the threshold of the definition of apartheid in international law. And that's highly, highly significant. Um, and I suppose what we want to tease out a bit is what does it mean and what has the European Union's response been to that? Well... As people, I don't know if people uh, heard about it, but a couple of weeks ago, um, the EU foreign policy chief, Borrell, actually, he rejected Amnesty International's finding that Israel perpetrates the crime of apartheid, right? And so literally what you have is the European Union saying that it's anti-Semitic to say Israel perpetrates the crime of apartheid against the Palestinian people. Now, that means that the likes of Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and the Israeli Betzalem, which is funded by the EU, they're saying now, the EU is more or less saying now that these are all guilty of anti-Jewish bigotry, right? Now, the EU is, you wonder how, how did this come about? Well, the EU's extraordinary claim came in response to a question from several pro-Israeli members of the, of the European Parliament directed towards the EU executive body, the European Commission. So the lawmakers stated that Amnesty's report last February alleges that apartheid was inherent in the founding of the State of Israel in 1948 and has been built on and maintained by successive Israeli governments. So the lawmakers asked uh, Burrell if he also views Israel as an apartheid state, knowing bloody well that he wouldn't go to that space, right? Now, the pro-Israel lawmakers should be fully satisfied with Burrell's response because he said, the commission considers that it is not appropriate to use the term apartheid in connection with the state of Israel. 
Burrell affirmed the EU's reliance on, on the IHRA, claiming that the existence of the State of Israel as a racist endeavour is amongst the, the illustrative examples included under the IHRA definition. So the highly politicised IHRA definition, uh, which was obviously uh, heavily promoted by Israel and, and the lobby groups, that that's faced broad opposition due to concerns that it would be used exactly like Burrell is using it, falsely labelling legitimate criticism of Israel and its crimes as anti-Jewish bigotry. Well, I think we need to go back and look at what is this definition and what is the IRHA, because Burrell's statement, which was really criticised by the UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Territories, was based on the fact that he has is misinterpreting and using the IHRA definition in a manner in which it was never intended. Now, what is this? And basically what it is was supposed to be a definition of anti-Semitism, but it has proven to be very, very controversial. And a lot of people in Ireland might know about the backdrop of sort of allegations of anti-Semitism against <coughs> Jeremy Corbyn, for example, the leader of the Labour Party and the big row inside that party. And that was actually tied up with this whole situation as well. So what it was really was a definition of anti-Semitism. And to me, anti-Semitism is just racism directly targeted against Jewish people. But the IHRA definition has been criticised because it's not really clear or coherent. I'll read it out. It says anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be, be expressed as hatred towards Jews. Rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed towards Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property toward the Jewish community, institutions and religious facilities. Now there's nothing really wrong with that but it's pretty vague and you don't really have a problem with that. Now, it came from an EU monitoring um, centre on racism and xenophobia document, but was scrapped by the Fundamental Rights Agency as being controversial. But it was then subsequently taken up by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA, and has become their definition. And the IHRA is an intergovernmental organisation set up in the late 90s to strengthen and promote education about the Holocaust. So it's 34 countries in it and Ireland joined it in 2011. And we are fully in favour and supportive of education and a remembrance of the Holocaust, which was an appalling crime committed against Jewish people in particular, but also against disabled people, against Roma people, against left-wingers, and the horror of that should never be forgotten but it should not be used as an excuse to carry out crimes by the current state of Israel either. And where the confusion comes out of is that the definition was adopted, but there were also 11 examples. So I've just read out the example. There's nothing particularly wrong with that, and it doesn't back Burrell's claim one way or another. But the controversial bit is the 11 examples. So even the examples, most of the examples actually are OK. They're, they're not problematic at all. But the one that has caused the problems is the one that Burrell has relied on because it talks about um, criticism that it's anti-Semitic to say a state of a state of Israel is a racist endeavor. Now, that's probably in some ways fair enough, because if you are denying Jewish self-determination, then that could certainly be anti-Semitic. But this is not a criticism against Israel now is not a generalized criticism of a state of Israel. It's a criticism of the present state of Israel, which given the 
crimes that Mick outlined is very clearly uh, an apartheid state. And in that sense, there's absolutely nothing anti-Semitic about saying that. Yeah, and Burrell, interestingly enough, he provided, he provided no factual basis for dismissing all the meticulous research that, that uh, several human rights groups uh, have done when they were shown how Israel does perpetrate apartheid, and it, which is a serious crime against humanity covered by the Rome Statute, which is the founding treaty of the International Criminal Court. Now, uh, people should remember, just to, to, to reiterate, a, a crime against humanity under international law the crime of apartheid is defined as inhuman acts committed for the purpose of establishing and maintaining domination by one racial group of persons over any other racial group of persons and systematically oppressing them. Now, it is not difficult to, be sh to show that this is happening uh, in Palestine today, in the occupied territories. That is exactly... Uh, uh, people are being oppressed. Now, and people should also remember that Israel has made no secret of the fact that they want an Israel for a set, one sect of people themselves, the Jewish people. And they are not interested in giving the same rights to anybody else. Now, that's a form of racism. That's a form of apartheid. It's enshrined in their own rules. And so they're not really hiding it. Uh, only, unfortunately, governments like the US, parliaments, commissions in Europe are afraid to actually call it for what it is. And that is at the root of a lot of the problems today in Palestine because Israel could not act in such a lawless way. It couldn't ignore the UN Charter. It couldn't ignore international law to the level that it does without the complicity of the US and the EU. And that is shocking for us as Europeans. Mm. And one of the ways they're getting away with it is by trying to silence discussion. And that's why we're spending a bit of time on this today because this isn't going away. This was the circumstances in which basically shut down and more or less eliminated Jeremy Corbyn and caused huge problems. In it. So this is a very well orchestrated campaign to create a chilling environment whereby legitimate opinions about the mistreatment of Palestinians are being labelled as anti-Semitic, which is a very serious charge to be levied against anybody. And surprise surprise guess who has been levied as such uh, and one of the other reasons I suppose why we're, we're discussing it is that we there was a big expose in a Spanish newspaper uh, about the European Parliament's security services quietly and unprecedentedly drawing up a sort of a secret hit list of potential security risks for the Israeli president when he attended here a number of weeks ago for the Holocaust Remembrance and surprise, surprise, myself and Mick were on the list, <laughs> along with a, a number of our colleagues, Mark Batenga from Belgium, uh, Joao Pimenta Lopez from Portugal and Manu Pineda from Spain. And now, along with some other 
openly uh, along with some Nazis, Nazis. Yeah, so yeah. people who probably are anti-Semitic like you know um, so our group has written to the European Parliament President and in fairness to President Metzola she has said that this is unprecedented that she was not aware of it and that she has directed the security services that this should not be done we are elected members of Parliament and there are no circumstances where an elected member of Parliament can ever be deemed to be a security threat unless it was done by a state and our immunity lifted so that's completely not on um, but it's very interesting that would not happen with a visiting heads of I mean, it didn't happen with Zelensky it didn't happen with anybody else so why is Israel always clouding itself in this sort of special cover that prevents you from saying anything critical against them that's pretty mm -hmm. scary and I mean Mick was labelled at a committee you were basically told to your your comments were anti-Semitic. Well, it, it, it actually it was a few days after Burrell had made that response, right? And I gave a speech uh, at the Security and Defence Committee, and the chair uh, reprimanded me at the end when after I'd spoke, and he said that I'm sorry now, but uh, you should check the Europe last week's plenary uh, in Strasbourg where it was established that it's anti-Semitic uh, to describe Israel as an apartheid state. Now, f well, first of all, he was completely out of order. Uh, that uh, <clears throat> For Burrell to make the comment he did is one thing. To claim now that the whole of the European Union uh, is in total denial about the idea of Israel being an apartheid state is actually not true. Right, and for Burrell to come out with one statement, that's a statement from Burrell. That's his position. We don't agree with it, but it doesn't mean that the whole the chair was made his comment on the basis that this is the established position of the European Union now. Well, we haven't actually voted on it, right? And I tell you what, as right wing as this place is, I don't think they'd actually vote to say that we're uh, being anti-Semitic to call them an apartheid state. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I, I mm -hmm. think you're absolutely wrong. Do you? Yeah. yeah, I do. I totally do because the EU has a, an anti-Semitism strategy and uh, it's pretty good and a lot of good stuff on protecting Jewish life and anti-racism against Jews. A lot of it is an exemplary policy actually in terms of dealing with racism but they fail to distinguish. They, it includes the IHRA definition but it also includes the examples and it fails to distinguish between them and this is where Burrell is fudging it as well. He's taken this to the next level. And when we got a chance to cross-examine the EU's uh, coordinator on combating anti-Semitism and fostering Jewish life, Katerina von Schurbein or something like that, at a, a, a rule of law meeting recently, and I just made the points about how loads of Jewish organisations have criticised the definition and said it was never intended to shut down dissent, including Kenneth Stern, who was one of the drafters of it. So it's very, very controversial. And she said, uh, so I made my points and, and then she said, well, where are our millions of Israelis supposed to go? Um, you know, how how do we, uh, she said, it is, she's, are they supposed to be wiped off the face of the earth? That was her response to me. And I said, sorry, excuse me. And then she asked me, had I read the definition as well, which was incredibly rude. As, you know, I said, yeah, I have actually. And actually a lot of places have only adapted the definition and not the examples. And that's what we were asking them to distinguish between. But like I raised, a fact that Jewish organisations have disputed this definition, not me, Jews, like other Jews, have, have done that. 
And her response to me is, oh, you're trying to annihilate Israelis and f make them flee their homes. And I says, no, 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 that's not the case. I'm asking you to have international law upheld and the rights of Palestinians. So it's creeping, yeah. creeping into this. This is why well, it's so important to combat it. Yeah, well, it's all connected to the fact, I mean, I suppose, like what the, what the chair was doing to me that time, what the security crowd were doing by labelling us a, a security threat when the Israeli president came is... It's another effort to actually uh, silence us. It's it's an effort uh, to try and make us out to be pariahs because we hold certain views and we're not really supposed to hold those views. Now, it reminds me a bit of what's happening with the war. And it's like how we've been labelled as Putin puppets by the Irish media when they know bloody well that we've never said a good word about Putin. And because we're looking for peace, because we haven't taken the sides of anyone in the war, be it Russia or Ukraine or the US or NATO, we're taking no one's side. We want peace. We don't want war. So they call us Putin puppets because we want peace. Why is that? Because there's no evidence for calling us Putin puppets. We're not Putin's puppets. We have no time for them. And we've, we've condemned the invasion. Uh, we have been open from the very start. We've condemned the invasion as illegal, and it's been it was it's been brutal, and uh, to <clears throat> totally against the UN Charter. But yet, they're trying to uh, silence us, and this uh, this perception of the war is not to be tolerated. So, not, likewise, this perception of Israel as an apartheid state is not to be tolerated, and. <clears throat> the media and the politicians have their own way of going about gradually making it accepted that this, oh, Israel isn't really an apartheid state. I think you're right to compare it to the war in Ukraine in the sense of maybe some people in Ireland have bought into the sort of propaganda about us, whereas actually in this scenario here, they can understand very clearly the chilling effect that this is having. We would say... It's a similar thing because the target of us in the war in Ukraine is something similar. It's to shut down the voices for peace. Irish people would be shocked by uh, these crimes and would be very, very sympathetic to the Palestinians. That mood is not so prevalent across the EU. And even amongst the left in some countries, there is a shocking ignorance about the situation and we see it manifested particularly maybe in the likes of Germany where the German left because of the horrors of what uh, the Nazis did to the Jews they feel a kind of an embarrassment to defend the Palestinians for fear for precisely that issue for fear of being labelled an anti-Semite and that's why they are putting so much time on this definition and it's been pushed by the pro-Israeli lobby it's been pushed in colleges in America to shut down dialogue and dissent by labelling people anti-Semite in the same way as we're labelled as Putin puppets and people in Ireland mightn't get it in the Putin puppet they might think we are because it goes on about some but I think you'll get it when you see this being done in Israel because we understand the plight of the Palestinians. But it's a really important lesson because this dialogue is only going in one direction. And the authorities here in the EU have us more and more linking up with Israel in terms of projects all the time, the amount of special treatment that they get. Yeah, and what I find as well uh, with the EU authorities is that they hide behind 
their promotion of the two-state solution all the time. So they keep saying, oh, we have to have a two-state solution. But at the meantime, they do nothing to stop Israel continuing to make a two-state solution totally impossible. As the settlements continue, a two-state solution is dead at this stage. People should stop even talking about a two-state solution. It is physically impossible. There's nobody going to make Israel go back to the 67 borders, which is what a two-state solution would require. So you have MEPs, for example, standing up and saying, oh, we want a two-state solution. But they have no problem with the fact that Israel won't go back to the 67 borders. They have no problem with the fact that the settlements, the illegal settlements that have been declared illegal a long time ago by the UN, they have no problem with the fact that these continue relentlessly. Mm. So, so it, they're actually using the two-state solution argument as an excuse for doing nothing. The truth be told, at this stage, the two-state solution is dead, it's impossible, and the way forward at this stage is one state one state on all that land, Israel, West Bank, Gaza, one state where the Israelis and the Palestinians learn to live in peace, they have democracy, and there's human rights for everybody in an equal fashion. That is the way forward, where the Palestinians can live in peace, all the, Palis all the Israelis can live in peace, and that, that you know what, it's, it, might be a long, it looks a long time away now, but that has to be the way forward, and that's the position that the international community should be taking. And it guarantees peace for the Israelis, it will guarantee peace for the Palestinians, and the right of return for the Palestinian refugees that are all over the, the region uh, has to be included as well. But I mean, there has to be human rights for all the Palestinians and all the Israelis in, within one state where it's a democratic process that the that that stands up and adheres to all aspects of international law. Yeah, I mean the apartheid in South Africa was overcome on the basis of one person, one vote in a sort of equal society. I'm not saying South Africa is perfect. That's a whole topic for a different day, but it is possible. But only if the international community gets behind it. And it is actually an embarrassment and a disgrace, the role of the European Union in terms of how it's dealing with this. Because European taxpayers' money is being pumped into Israel day in, day out. They're getting access to police records or to police cooperation with Europol. They're getting special preference treatment in terms of trade deals. And meanwhile, sometimes when they level some project that the EU put our money into to help Palestinians, the EU go, now don't be doing that now, that's desperate. But they never stop the money, they never stop the preferential treatment, they never comment on Israelis breaking the law by um, illegally bombing Damascus or wherever and it's just, we are enabling them to do what they do and the embarrassment of people across Europe for what the Nazis did is not an excuse to criticise, to not criticise the present state of Israel. Yeah, I mean, that, that reminds me of the fact that almost every week without fail, at some stage, Israel illegally bombs Syria. And yesterday, it bombed Aleppo airport, making it more difficult for humanitarian aid to get to the Syrians. Mm. Now, think about it. Mm. They've had an earthquake. They were already in a difficult place beforehand. Israel is bombing yesterday Aleppo airport to prevent humanitarian aid getting to Syrians who need it. Now, how much more can you say? Well, I mean, who else would do that? 
And who and else you, would do that without any comment in the international uh, community? And it's the barbarism. EU had nothing to say about it. Yeah, well, can you nothing. imagine now if Russia did that or China did it or Iran did it or something, there'd be absolute and utter outrage. And, and, and <coughs> rightly so. I mean, it's, it's quite shocking. The European Union of hypocrisy. Mm. And not only that, but I mean, our own, to, the, the leader of the parliament's delegation has been twice denied access to the um, to the to Palestine. Uh, while the our Irish group were out there last week, the EU tried uh, the European Parliament tried to send an official delegation, and the head of that delegation and uh, another Spanish MEP were both prevented from entering yet again. I mean, what other country would behave like that? I can't think of any. And uh, people should take on board as well the fact that Israel gets 4 billion euros worth of military equipment each year from the US for nothing. 4 billion of US taxpayers' money of military hardware goes to Israel each year. Mm. Was it Biden or who was it who said if Israel didn't exist we'd have to create it? We'd have to invent it. We'd have to invent it because they're our man um, marshalling and destabilising the rest of the region and it really is quite criminal and it I suppose we should comment at this stage because it's linked sort of to the decision of Michal Martin this week to say he's going to withdraw UN peacekeepers out of the Golan Heights, the illegally occupied Syrian Golan Heights by the Israelis where Irish uh, UN peacekeepers have been for years. Now, you could argue about that reinforcing Israel's occupation of that area. Maybe that's another argument for another day. But the reason why he's doing it is to enable our proud peacekeeping forces to be used in an EU battle group. My God, this is... The leaders of Fianna Fáil must be turning in their graves. Let's remember it was neutral Ireland as a new country when it joined the United Nations, got itself on the map really early by saying, listen, lads, and I think it, uh, it was... Aiken or one of those who kind of said, we're a small country, we can't defend ourselves. The only way we can do it is by making sure that international law is upheld and that disputes are settled peacefully. And they went into the UN and they carved a niche for themselves. The Irish were the first ones to move for a non-nuclear proliferation treaty. It was unanimously adopted by everyone. I mean, talk about punching above your weight, like everybody kind of got on board because the Irish were in town, like, you know. And there and we are now making a, making a shame, a disgrace of ourselves as bootlickers of exactly. US imperialism. And, now, and, and, and packing up our peacekeeping, which was really respected, uh, and in order our, that our troops can join a battle group and that we can get involved in a conflict on European soil, when we should be working to diplomatically resolve the war which is going on regardless. Absolutely shocking. But on a positive note for finishing up, we were, I suppose, blessed or enlightened to have the young people with us this week, weren't we? All our visitors. We had three Dublin schools who I think were a tonic for us in this bubble. Uh, all young women, of course, in this week of International Women's Week, uh, mighty young ones from Dublin who were a credit to their teachers and themselves because I think the next generation isn't going to take the crap that the, the current one is. These young ones could see through it and they weren't going to be uh, just putting up with people being labelled or just generalities being thrown in, uh, thrown around the place. These people have a planet to defend and by God, they're going to question and do it. I thought they were brilliant. Oh, they were, they were excellent. Yeah. And uh, I 
actually met another group uh, that were really good today, that Colin Markey uh, of Fine Gael brought. Uh, it was all based around um, improving uh, the way forward uh, in agriculture and the students, they were brilliant to her. Mm. And they were so well informed, they were so enthusiastic. Uh, and I mean, it just, it augurs well for the future. It was brilliant. Like it certainly, sh it was really nice relief for us in this bubble or cesspit, depending on what we call it each time. And just, like their we, teachers have told us, they find it really refreshing. When one of the teachers said previous generations that she thought in the time of the Celtic tiger and that were very much sort of distracted by consumerism. But actually this generation now have seen through that. They've gone past it and, and they're right because they don't have a future unless they get to grips mm. with where this planet is going. But it's great that they've realised it. So. And it would be great if the young people start to engage more in the political process because uh, so little has changed and politicians have have been so disappointing in representing people. And uh, I say that across the board, I think politics disappoints anyway. We need young people now to actually get involved in politics and make the changes that are necessary because a lot of change is required. Mm. And to make it at a European level. So we were encouraging them to come over more and we should again reiterate that there is a facility to bring groups over to see the Parliament and its institutions. The Parliament pays for that. We can cover flights and accommodation and bring people over. So if any of the listeners do want to get together a group to come over, we find it one of the best programmes actually that the project does. And, uh, you know, we're very critical of the EU project, but we're very pro-European. And I think a lot of the young ones in that were on the same page in that, like, we should be over here making a better European Union. What's the point in us all going along and everybody being the same and being nodding donkeys? Like, you know, uh, Ireland has a unique contribution to make. And I think anybody who wants to find out more and come over should would be very welcome. Just give us a shout. Yeah. The email addresses are on your MEP pages. Yep. OK. All right. On that note, bye bye. All the best. Bye bye.